0: Let's go to the book of Luke and chapter 18, the book of Luke and chapter number 18 for tonight's service. Glad to see everyone made it out. It's, uh, isn't it nice having sunshine in the evenings? I don't know about you, but uh, I do, I do much better when the sun is shining. I just do. And so, uh, so this is, uh, this is great as the days are starting to get longer, join that. So. Hope that you're having a good day, and I hope that you are all set up and uh, ready for uh, to come on out as many of the nights as you possibly can, and I listen, I am not one of those that will, um, I'm not going to hound you on every, uh, you know, if I don't see you Monday, I'm not going to say, okay, where were you when I see you on Wednesday or something, where were you, okay, <laughs> um, but I get it, because some things come up, um, uh, things definitely do come up and um, happen, and uh, work sometimes will not uh, will not release you, and they do things on that day that they weren't supposed to, and uh, you get stuck. I get it. Okay, um, I appreciate. It. Uh, there was um, your husband came in on his on his lunch break. I thought that was amazing. That's just a great. Um, it just you know that says the importance of what it is to be in the house of God. I think that's great. And um, so just whenever you're able to come and um, uh, able to be here, you know, because you never know. One of the things I like to say is that you just never know when God's going to give you. Exactly what you need. You know, maybe you need a good dose of encouragement. Maybe you need a good dose of, um, we'll use a, a Bible word, exhortation, which means uh, <laughs> God telling us, stop that, okay? Maybe you need a good dose of that. Uh, you never know on what night that the Lord is going to have just what you need. So you come as often as you can. Listen, if you make the effort to be here as often as you can, God's going to give you exactly what you need. And one of the things I always promise is that. Um, you know, you won't, uh, is that every message will be what I call high impact messages. It will not be, um, just a little, Hey, you made it out. Glad you're here. I'm glad you, you know, drove in 45 minutes. And so I'm just going to give you a little thought and then we'll go home. No, uh, I want to, I want tonight and every night to impact you. And, uh, I remember one preacher saying this and it really kind of changed my outlook on preaching. He said, uh, at the end of his message, he said to the people, I don't want to know if you've been challenged. I want to know if you've been changed. Sometimes we talk about, you know, I'm going to bring you a challenge tonight or, you know, and I say those words, you know, I'm not, I'm not downing you if you say that or uh, people will say, um, you know, we, 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 we had a great challenge from the word last night. I get it. And uh, I don't fault you if you've ever said that because I've definitely said that. Um, But uh, the, the, the objective is not for you to be challenged, but that you and me will be changed Uh, because that's, that's what, uh, that's what God wants from us. So, um, so you be here as often as you can. And we'll look forward to what the Lord will do. Let me just say this. Of course, um, uh, in these coming nights, 7 o'clock, so my goal is is that whatever, however things run, is that some nights we might be slightly earlier than this, but my promise is that we never go later than 8.15. We start 7, and by 8.15, pastor will be here at the pulpit, and it'll be closing in prayer. Now, there might be a night or two that we end earlier than that, but I just want you to always know there's a back wall, Okay. Uh, you know, because um, some guys need a back wall when it comes to um, uh, it comes to speaking, uh, because I have been, and um, you know, I'll ask anyway, it's fun. How many of you have ever been at a revival meeting service when it started at 7, and at 9 o'clock, the guy was still going? Would you raise your hand? How many of you have ever been in one like that? You know, uh, me too. And you know something? It's not that you don't love Jesus, it's just i'm tired you know that's all it is not that i don't love god it's just i got tired and um you know maybe kids got to be in bed or you've got work in the morning that way Um, You can at least uh, you can at least know that maybe you have maybe you're consistently I don't know maybe you consistently get in bed at at eight o'clock because you got to be at work at I don't know three or something or get up at three to go to work or something like that. At least wise you can know that we're going to be out at eight fifteen. You can rush home and just get in bed. I don't know whatever that might take you. You can know well. I can at least I know I can bank on this. Matt's not going until nine o'clock, and I can know when I'm going to be. uh, able to uh, get get ready for work the next day, something like that. But I just want you to know that. Now relax. Um, tonight we're not going to eight fifteen. Okay, <laughs> that, would be, uh, that would be quite a time. Um, that same evangelist on Sunday night was like, "Well, you know, they're going to be here. You know, we're uh, you know, it's kind of early. We're starting an hour hour earlier, so I might as well go a little longer tonight." He said that, and um, he went a little longer you know, <laughs> on, on the on Sunday night. So relax. Uh, I want you to just kind of know that. Um, So we're uh, you're ready and it helps you to be able to focus um, on the on the uh, the scriptures that we'll have Okay. All right. So Luke chapter 18 and let's go ahead down to verse number nine Luke chapter 18 and verse number nine says And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves That they were righteous and despised others Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, (coughs) extortioners, (coughs) unjust, (coughs) unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that, um, that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Let's ask God's help. Lord, thank you for letting us be in your house tonight. Holy Spirit, please speak to our hearts. Uh, please say everything through me that's got to be said. And I pray, I pray that you would do the convicting that needs to be done. Don't let me uh say anything that would be out of line help me to be right on uh right on with uh with um, what you want to have said here tonight we look forward to what you'll do i pray that you bring um conviction where there needs to be conviction i pray in jesus name amen all right well there's a um uh, i remember reading a story about a fellow evangelist a guy by the name of roy hessian Roy Hessian was a preacher, more in Great Britain, and I think his heyday was kind of in the 1940s, 1950s, and so he was doing his revival meetings there, and I was reading his specific testimony, and he said that it was um, at some point, it was in 1947, Roy Hessian said that there came a point in his ministry where he said, I lost the power of God okay well I'll tell you this I you know I don't like distractions in preaching you know that you know I've been I've been I preached in a, in a youth event one time where there was this was neighborhood Bible time preaching a youth event where there was some um, uh, one kid there were about 60 teenagers I was yelling the whole time because that was the only way to keep their attention and uh, and uh, one guy stood up in the middle of it because there was something going on back there I couldn't hear We were outside, stood up and turned around to the guy behind him, cussed him out, and threatened to fight him right there. And um, so, you know, I I could deal with some distractions, okay? But um, you know what really scares me and frustrates me is that I might preach and just not have the power of God. And every preacher really, uh, uh, good preachers really fear that, and above all, want God to bless and want God to do great things. And so Roy Heshin, he said, I knew I had lost the power of God. But he said, instead of doing something about it, he said, I just redoubled my efforts and became increasingly tense and forceful in my preaching. And he said, nothing much happened. So he said it was around, it was Easter time, April 1947. He said he was putting on an Easter conference, and so he invited in uh, these uh, missionaries from Eastern Africa who had just seen God do some neat revival in their countries and in their um, churches, and they were kind of, you might say, fresh out of it. They had just seen the moving hand of God, they'd seen God do great things. So he brings these men in, and they were the speakers at his Easter conference. And he said, (coughs) he said at this Easter conference, He said, as my wife and others humbled themselves before God and experienced the cleansing of the blood of Jesus, he said, I found myself left somewhat high and dry. When at the end of the conference, others testified as to how Jesus had broken them at his cross and filled their hearts overflowing with his spirit, I had no such testimony. But you know what he said? He said, it was not until I was willing, he said, to come humbly to the cross and get a cleansing from personal sin that he was able to have the power of God back on his life. That's what he described it as, a cleansing from personal sin. So, if you're like me, I want to know, hey, what was the preacher's personal sin, you know, right? Because, you know, a preacher, you know, personal sin, what, like, this sounds kind of sketchy, right? What's this guy doing? Was he, you know, people immediately ask, was he cheating on his wife? No, he wasn't. Okay, well, you know, he's an evangelist, so he must be stealing money somewhere, you know, something like that. And the answer is no, he was not stealing, he was not embezzling, anything like that. Do you know what the sin was? And he actually said this later in his book, Do you know what the sin was that removed the power of God from his life and really brought his ministry to a halt for a time? Do you know what that sin was that he had to get right with God before God's power came back on his life and on his ministry? You know what it was? He said, it was the way I was treating my wife. Now, maybe you say, maybe, now you wouldn't say it out loud, especially guys if you want to um, not get shot. Um, Maybe some of you guys thought, oh, was that it? (laughs) You know, oh, I thought it was something big. You know, guys, don't say that. Don't say that. That's not good. Okay. well um so what's the point of what i'm saying is you might you know in our um in our culture and in our just our mentality we often think well you know um uh you know um you know that's not good you know not treating his wife right that's not good but it's at least he's not out killing people at least he's not cheating on her at least he's not embezzling money you know what roy Heschen had to come to the grips with was yes he's not murdering he's not stealing money he's not cheating on his wife and yet god still says that the way he was treating his wife was sinful And you know what's amazing is, what this is what something that we might call small, but in God's eyes, it was not small. And you know what Roy Hesham began to write about was he wrote about something called brokenness. That's what we're going to look at tonight, is something called brokenness. Now, if you take notes, I, I like to, some, sometimes I give definitions of some words that uh, are commonly used in our Christianity, and let me give you um, a definition of the word brokenness. Now, I like I like short definitions because if I do long ones, by the time I get to the end, I forget what's at the beginning, okay? So here's a short definition of brokenness. Brokenness is just simply, brokenness is calling sin whatever God calls sin, no matter how small. Brokenness is just calling sin whatever God calls sin, no matter how small. You know, in that, um, in that song we sang, tonight's service is going to, tonight's uh, uh, invitation is going to prove, and I don't know who, but tonight's invitation is going to prove some of you liars. For I would think all of you sang, in the steps of a good man, you said, Lord, make me Christ-like whatever it takes. That is, a, uh, that is a very sobering phrase, because when I think on that, I think whatever it takes, God uses some very strong methods to change our hearts when we're not willing to change about something that God calls sin. So tonight, if I can put it this way, tonight is what, uh, what I like to call a no elbows message. In other words, if you are sitting next to someone, keep your elbows to yourself, because this is, a, this is probably one of those messages that you can think of as, oh my goodness, praise the Lord, so-and-so is here to hear that. Look, don't worry about so-and-so. Not tonight. Not, not tonight. Or you might think, oh, I wish so-and-so had been here for tonight's service. Don't worry about it, okay? There's a reason why God has you here, not them. So let God speak to you, and let God change you, and let yourself be open to brokenness. Calling sin, whatever God calls sin, no matter how small it may be. Look at verse, um, uh, the, the passage here, verse 9. One of the things we're about to cover, if you notice, you're probably familiar with the story of the Pharisee and the publican, and they are a great example of what brokenness does not look like and what brokenness does look like. So we're going to look at that here. Now, one of the things, uh, by the way, as you read your Bibles, as you go through especially your New Testament, and you read the parables of Jesus, one of the, sometimes you ever read a parable and you just read it and you think, ah. Oh, I wonder what that means, you know, and you're like, well, I think I got a you know, I think I got a good guess. I might know, I'm not really sure. One of the best ways to help you understand what's Jesus trying to talk about in a parable is to find out what the situation was that caused Jesus to want to give a parable. Because usually you almost always find a scenario, a situation, something happens, and Jesus says, what these people need is a good story to help them understand a spiritual truth. And so, verse 9 tells us what the situation was. It says, he spake this parable, it says, unto certain which trusted in themselves, that word means to have confidence in themselves, what? That they were righteous. and That, that word righteous has the idea of a right standing before God. Probably a big part of what these um, these people were probably Jews, and so for a lot of these Jews, they believe that just because I'm a Jew, that means that I have a right standing before God. Folks, because you come to a Bible-believing church doesn't mean you have a right standing before God. So... God wants us to look at our hearts and know because these people, probably because of who they were and their position and their standing in their community and in the Jewish, um, the Jewish religion and culture, they had confidence in themselves that they had a right standing before God. But then it says at the end, and they despised others. The word despise is the word, is the word to mean like to have contempt or to look down on somebody. And it says they despised others. You know what the, um, The word here, others, is actually, it's a Greek word that means the rest or the remaining. In other words, if you weren't them, they took you and put everybody in a bucket and basically said, we have a right standing before God as opposed to everybody else. They really looked down on everyone else and just saw themselves as being way more spiritual than everyone else. And can I tell you something? It is very easy for us to... um, to uh, look down on other people and to consider ourselves to be very spiritual when we look at other people. But uh, God says in Isaiah 65, He says, A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face are those which say, Stand by thyself. Come not near me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. So what we're going to do here is, listen, let's not worry about the rest or the remaining. Let's not worry about others let's worry about ourselves here tonight and are you broken before God are you right with God in everything even down to the things we would define as little because if God calls it sin we need to call it sin no matter how small it is and so Jesus helps us understand brokenness by giving us two a story about two people so first thing we're going to do, we're going to look at the unbroken man. That's the, uh, we'll see him first. Well, actually, we're going to spend a lot of time with him. And then we're going to very briefly at the end, look at the broken man. Okay. So let's look first at the unbroken man. Who was that? Verse uh, 10 says, two men went up into the temple to pray in Jesus's parable, the one, a Pharisee. Now, who in the world were the Pharisees? Now, uh, let's say this, probably for a lot of you, you, um, uh, you probably heard of the Pharisees if you read your Bible much at all. They were the guys, the religious guys that were constantly kind of in a, in a, in a, um, in a battle with Jesus as Jesus was trying to do his ministry amongst the Jewish people. But you know, the, Jew, uh, the um, Pharisees actually, their origins were actually from very, can we say, noble motivations. The, um, uh, what had happened was the nation of Israel, um, this kind of, Here's a lot of history in like two sentences. The nation of Israel went through a civil war. It was split between the north and the south. The northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrian Empire, which then was absorbed, and uh, the southern kingdom as well, by the Babylonian Empire. We just covered a bunch of history in those two sentences. Okay, And then the, um, and then the Babylonian Empire was conquered by the Persian Empire. Now, one thing about the Persian Empire, as, um, as the nation of Israel is underneath uh, the d- dominion of the Persian Empire, the Persians, uh, while they were very, you didn't want to meet the Persians in battle. They were ferocious, tenacious, violent fighters when it came to battle. But once they had conquered a region, there was a little bit of, of grace, of latitude that they give. In other words, they would allow a conquered area to have some, uh, some uh, you know, they'd allow them to keep their culture and keep their religion so long as they, you know, they didn't rebel and they paid their taxes and stayed submissive to the Persian government. Uh, they could keep a lot of their culture and their religion. However, it wasn't uh, too long until the Persian Empire was, uh, was um, consumed by the Greek Empire. And folks, the Greek Empire had a totally different philosophy. They believed that the Greek culture was the best culture that humanity could reach. And therefore, they wanted all the nations to be Greeks like them, to be just like them in Greek culture. And so their rule was, okay, basically, if we have conquered you, you've got to change and become Greek in your culture you've got to become Greek in your, your living, your, your, um, your dressing, your uh, religion, all these kinds of things. And so if we can put it this way, that put the Jews in a panic, you know, because the Jews realized, especially because the Jews knew we are conquered because we would not get control. One of the biggest things was we would not get control on our idolatry. It's one of the biggest reasons that God said he judged his nations, uh, the nation's, was because of their idolatry. And so the Jews said, oh my goodness, we can't, we can't let the Greek culture become a part of us. We've got to stay as Jewish as possible because the Jewish culture was very connected to their Jewish worship. And the two went very much hand in hand. And so they, and so they said, we've got to keep our culture Jewish. We've got a pure and we've got to keep our, our worship of God pure. And so we cannot allow the Greek culture to overwhelm our, our Jewish culture and our worship of God. Do you know who the people were that led the charge in not letting the Greek culture take over? That's it. The Pharisees did. You say, uh, that sounds like they're doing something good. They were. And you know what ended up happening was the Pharisees said, hey, listen, we want to keep the Greek culture from getting anywhere near us. And so they said, all right, why don't we do this? You know, if God's law says this, uh, puts, sets the standard here, let's set the, sta- let's set the bar even higher. Let's live up here so that we don't even get close to, to disobeying God's work. You know, not a necessarily bad goal either, but the problem was, over time, that morphed, and it began to become, as the years went by, the Pharisees began to say, yes, I know the Bible says we're supposed to do this, but if you really love God, like me, You'll do this. And the people start realizing, boy, living up here is really hard. The Pharisees said, well, I guess you don't love God like me. And it became an over, and the Pharisees became an overbearing group of people that uh, really began to also just to drive the people away from the God that they claimed to worship. These were the Pharisees. And so now when Jesus is, um, Jesus is confronting them and interacting with them in his ministry, these Pharisees are far gone. They are, uh, they, I mean, they are all about themselves. They're focused on themselves and they believe themselves to be super godly when in reality, they weren't. And so let's look if we could. The example that Jesus gives of this Pharisee is he compares how the Pharisee and the publican prayed. What does he say? Well, in verse number, um, verse number 11, he says the Pharisee, when he prayed, let's look at his posture. It says, the Pharisee stood. What, is, what does that mean, stood? The word stood means, it doesn't mean to just like, you know, if someone said, will you please stand and pray. The word stood there means to take a stand in a way where everybody can see you. Okay. So, Could you imagine just imagine that um, you know pastor Miller was to call on someone to pray here at the end of the service? And uh, yeah, you're you're grinning at me So let's say it's Michael, you know, well, you might say well this might happen I know but let's just say uh, he calls on uh, on old Michael over here and says why don't you close in prayer? So you start bowing your head and you're like, why is it taking so long? So of course you're a good bat, uh, good uh, a good christian So you peek, you know, and uh, and you find he's walked up here and he takes the flowers off the table and sets them over here picks up the offering plates and sets them over here, and then he gets on top of the communion table, spreads his arms out and says, let's pray. Yeah, you get nervous, wouldn't you? You would. You'd probably be like, oh, "Hang on, one sec, one sec. This is going down. You know, this is I've never seen this before. You'd probably uh, videotape that, saying, uh, something else gonna happen? What's going on? Why? Well, you know, you. We all know that's a terrible thing to do. Why is it so terrible? Because the point is, if someone was to do that, the point is not we're talking to God. The point is, I want y'all to look at me." that would be the point of doing something like that. And that is what the Pharisee did. When he prayed, he took a stand. The Bible talks about how these Pharisees, they go to the public places where people could see them. And they take a stand where everyone could see them, and they would offer this eloquent prayer to God. And it says, uh, notice, now that you've seen his posture, look at his audience. It says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus, oh, what does it say? With himself. Now, in the next word he's going to address god but you know what we get a little insight in is that when he was praying he wasn't actually talking to god who's he talking to himself you ever seen someone talking to themselves (laughs) you know someone who has a lot of conversations with themselves um you know i remember the um you know when i went to went out to school we watched uh we had to watch a lot of shakespeare how many of you have ever seen a shakespeare play before you ever seen one of those you raise your hand those things those things are heavy duty you know, because you watch those things, and you're like, well, that's English. I don't know what's going on, though, you know. You kind of get the, you're watching, you're like, I don't understand this. I'm not, I'm not getting, wow, he just killed that guy. What in the world just happened? That's Shakespeare. And, um, and so, you know, one of the things about Shakespeare is that they would do this thing called, uh, okay, me and my roommate, we'd say, in college, we'd say this, big word alert, okay. Um, Shakespeare has these things called soliloquies, I don't know if you know what a soliloquy is. Would you raise your hand? Okay. A soliloquy is, is, is a big, fancy English word for he's talking to himself. Okay? And so Shakespeare loved to have his characters talking to themselves. And so you'd have, like, all this action going on here. And then some character, he'd walk way off to the side over here. And he's looking up into the corner, and he's going, Oh, you know, should I, should I murder the king? Should I not murder the king? Oh, I'm trying to figure this out. And I'm sitting up in that balcony thinking, And the king's at the table right there. Shouldn't you pipe down, you know, because I can hear you. And then I had to realize, oh, Shakespeare, they do soliloquies, which is, he's, okay. I had to realize, all right, he's just talking to himself. And we're getting insight on what's going on inside of his brain. You know, that is exactly what the Pharisee was doing. His praying was not to God. He was praying with himself. He's all wound up praying to himself, and the Bible says that as he prayed, it says he prayed thus with himself. And what does he pray about? He says, "God, I thank thee." A pause right there. Do you know something that is not here? I want to be careful. We could name all kinds of things that are not in his pr- not in a prayer, but you know, one thing that is not in his prayer at all: confession of sin. I don't know about you, but um, I, it is my goal to have a prayer time with God every day—not just prayer at—not um, just a prayer at meal time, but to have an actual set aside prayer time where I get to talk with the Lord. And you know, some days I miss, but that's my goal. is every day I want to have a prayer time, and um, where it's just me and the Lord. And I love and I love those times. And you know, um, one of the things that I don't know about you, but when I come to a prayer time with God. It's almost embarrassing to have to come before the Lord if you are if you're gonna be honest with yourself And you think back on your life over the last day you think wow, I, I have been an embarrassment to the Lord And as you start to confess sin if you if you have a heart of true confession God starts bringing stuff to mind and God starts showing you things and you realize oh my goodness God Forgive me for that forgive me for that before we get into all the requests I have Lord Forgive me for the things that I have done. You know, this unbroken Pharisee totally skips the confession part. Because you know what? As far as he can tell, he's pretty good. Yep. He's doing pretty good. And so there wasn't really a whole lot of reason for him to confess his sin. Well, then what? Then as soon as he, um, of course, skips confessing sin, then he begins to flaunt what he had not done. Verse number 11, he says, God, I thank thee. He says that I am not as other men are. There it is again, that word, the rest or the remaining. He says, Lord, thank you. Then I'm not like everybody else. <laughs> Lord, thank you so much. But, okay, folks. If Michael was to come up here and start praying, and he was closing in prayer. And he said, and he started praying, he said you know, something like, Lord, thank you so much for that message tonight. Lord, i um, these people here tonight need to hear this. God, thank you that I'm not like them. I've been, um, I really feel like uh, I've been right with you for some time now. appreciate that, Lord. Oh, Lord, these people need some help. Thank you for what we heard tonight. You would think, honey, you got a rock or something? Can we throw something up there at him? i take your shoe off, you know? Uh, that's, this is terrible. Why, why is he saying these things? And that is what this, uh, this Pharisee is doing. He's saying, he's saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. How arrogant. How off, you know, how inaccurate he was. In fact, one of the things I read is that if you were a true rabbi, which this Pharisee probably would have been considered a rabbi, a teacher, um, this fair, uh, it was quoted that a true rabbi every day of his life would thank God that he was not one of these three people. One, he thanked God that he was not a Gentile. Two, he would thank God that he was not a plebeian. You know what a plebeian is? Old Roman word for a common person. All of us just normal everyday person you thank god that he's not like the common folk and number three he thanked god that he was not born a woman whoa and so and so these rabbis back then they'd say lord thank you i'm not a gentile thank you lord i'm not a common person thank you lord that i'm not a woman this was terrible and the idea was is that when the pharisee was having this prayer time, Uh, we'll use that word loosely, and he's having this prayer time and and, uh, he's, uh, you know, as he's um, doing these different things, what he does is as he's looking at these other people's lives, and of course he brings up verse 11 he brings up the he says i haven't been an extortioner i haven't stolen from anyone i'm not unjust i'm not a uh, an adulterer and he says and i'm not like this publican and so he brings up all these people and uh, you know other we find out he also compared himself to you know gentiles babians women uh, unjust uh, um uh, the unjust the adulterers the publicans you know when the pharisee compared his life to all these different people groups the pharisee looked really good you know can i tell you something folks you will always look pretty spiritual if you compare yourself to another person you will always look spiritual because we can always find someone who is less spiritual than us or at least someone who has a flaw that we can point out and when we point it out when we realize look at that flaw that's all we can see in them and we realize you know Thank the Lord I'm not like them. Folks, that is the attitude of the Pharisee. Because can I tell you something? When we compare ourselves with people, we usually end up looking really good. But when we will compare ourselves with Jesus, we never look good. And that is what's got to change, is we've got to stop looking at other people and saying, well, at least compared to these other people, at least I'm not doing all these sinful things. Hey, glad you're not. But God says, the standard for are you right with me is not this person and that person. The standard for are you right with God is God himself. He flaunts also, verse 12, he says, uh, the things that he does do. He says, I fast twice in the week, which they were only required to fast one day a year on the Day of Atonement, but the Pharisees fasted more than that, that, which was fine, it was totally fine if you want to fast more than one day a year. But he flaunts it as if, God, (laughs) you want to see a spiritual person? Right down here. I fast twice a week. And then he says in verse 12, he says, And I give tithes of all that I possess. And he expects God to be impressed. You know what's amazing is um, God was not. was not impressed. In fact, Matthew 23, oh my goodness, you want to talk about the Pharisees exposed. You know, that's a, that's a very common news article line nowadays. Such and such exposed. Well, you want to say Pharisees exposed? That was Matthew 23. As I read through Matthew 23, here's all the things that Jesus pointed out that the Pharisees did not do. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine uh, being a common Jew and standing next to a Pharisee being like, oh, because uh, they would have been sweating. They would have been mad. They would have been wanting to get out. Jesus said... Um, they didn't keep their own rules uh, even though we think of them as rule keepers Jesus says oh I know you you don't keep your own rules he said they don't care about helping others they only keep some of their traditions what little they do do is uh, done only to be praised they fought guests for the best seats at feasts and in the synagogue they did not serve others they kept people out of the kingdom of God they stole widows houses which made them thieves their prayers were fake they made proselytes of foreigners but didn't care about the home folk they made ways to get out of promises. They tithed on these tiny little things, but they neglected law, justice, mercy, and faith. They were lawless. They were given to excess, and they ignored and worked against the true prophets. Okay, now they don't look so spiritual. But you know, you might say, but I'm doing all these other spiritual things. I'm tithing. Glad you're tithing. You still need to do something about your all those things that that pharisee was doing you know the pharisee might say but i fast no glad you're fasting but that doesn't mean you can ignore justice faith mercy and all those kinds of things because the pharisee thought well i do these right things so i must have a good standing before god but no brokenness says if god calls it sin i need to call it sin no matter how small you know we do the same thing today we um there's so many things in the Bible that God calls sin, but we excuse them. Such as, for example, just like for one, for example, it's just, we make our own plans for our lives. You know that God has his own plan for our lives. He has a will for us. And when we make our own plans and we, uh, we, we know in our hearts, you know, I think God wants us to do this, but you know, I don't, so I'm going to do what I want. You know what God calls that? Sin say, well, Matt, oh, okay, well, you know, Matt, I'm not murdering people, so, uh, you know, at least I'm not doing that. Folks, I'm glad you're not murdering anybody. God still calls your unwillingness to follow his will sin, and you need to be broken over it. What about the sin of worry? Do you know God calls worry sin? You know, in Matthew chapter 6, you know what Jesus said six times? He said, the, the English phrase is, take no thought. Do you know what the Greek word is there? To be worry, or to worry, or to be anxious. Do you know what God says? Don't worry, don't be anxious. He says it six times in Matthew chapter 6, which means this. If Jesus says, don't do it, and you do it, you know what that's called? That's called sin. Well, it's just, just a part of who I am. It may be. God still calls it sin. And you need to be broken over it. What about um, what about discontentment? Do you ever get annoyed at what God has given you? I do. In Philippians four eleven says, Paul says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Do so you know what you do when you're saying, God, you know, I really don't appreciate all that's going on right now? God calls that discontentment you say, "Why well, goodness, at least I'm not out stealing from other people. Glad you're not stealing. God still calls your discontentment sin. And you need to be broken over it. How about unthankfulness? You know, we're commanded. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always for all things. Unto God, and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we say, well, I'm not thankful for that. You know what that is? That's sin. God calls it sin. You might say, well, at least it's not as big as some other things in my eyes. You know, that might be, you know, compared to some other things in your eyes, it may not be. But in God's eyes, God calls it sin. So we need to be broken over it. What about pride? Hey, listen. Are you one of those people that's always right and never wrong? That's usually the first, um, that's usually the first indicator of pride. When you're always right and never wrong. James 4, 6 says, God is resisteth the proud Do you like football? I do. You know what resist means? You ever seen a football that carry the ball in this arm and do what they call the stiff arm? That's that's keeping the defender out here so that he can't hit your body and bring your legs down. You hold him out here so that he's trying to grab at you, but he can't get you. That's that word resisteth. It's a stiff arm. In other words, you say I need the Lord to help me. I need God's wisdom on these things boy I got people walking away from the Lord. I need some comfort in these times You know what if you're holding on to pride you're stiff arming uh, God is stiff arming you I should say You know what he says you need to be broken Over your pride what about selfishness? Philippians 2 4 says look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, you know, we get very inward focused Well, I just look after my family and that's it let everybody else keep out Really, that's thank goodness. Jesus didn't act that way You know that really smacks of selfishness and if there's selfishness there God calls it sin We need to be broken over it. How about a lack of self-control? God says a fruit of the Spirit is temperance self-control Is your are your spending habits out of control is your temper out of control is your time management out of control? You say, "Well, I don't feel like that's as big of a deal as some things." Listen, if God calls it sin, we need to call it sin. How about um, how about anger? How about envy? How about jealousy? What about gossip? You know, Proverbs eighteen verse eight. Listen to this. It says, "The words." This is like the defining verse on gossip, in my in my uh, opinion. Proverbs eighteen eight says, "The words of a talebearer." Are as wounds that go down to the innermost parts of the belly you know what it does you know a lot of times when people are gossiping they say oh but what I'm telling I'm not telling a lie everything I'm saying is true you know the verse says just someone who tells a story doesn't say oh he tells a false story he hurts other people no just people who go around telling stories about other people injure other people you know what God calls gossip sin you say well brother man at least I'm not out Hurting other people and and breaking into their houses and stealing stuff. I'm glad you're not doing that. God still calls your gossip sin And you've got to be broken over it if God calls it sin We've got to call it sin too, but we offer excuses. We say well, Matt That's just the way I am or we say well That's just the way my life has always been or that's just how our family is You know, I remember once talking to a lady in our home state, Dothan, in home area, Dothan, Alabama. And I remember, she, I remember her saying this. She said, you know, there's a lot of yelling in our home, but there's also a whole lot of loving. As if the yelling was now justified because we have loving. Folks, it's not. If God calls it sin, we need to call it sin to be broken over that people say well that's just the way i was raised or that's just my personality i just am that way you know sometimes folks we got to realize that our personalities tend towards some sinful things and not excuse sin because we just say well that's just my personality or people saying well i struggle i got flesh just like everybody else okay uh people say well this is just the way our area of the country is that doesn't excuse nothing <laughs> or people will say, well, the devil's pressure is too great. That's why I do it. Um, folks, Eve gave that excuse in the garden and it didn't pass. Or people will excuse themselves and say, well, this person made me do it. Okay? Now you sound like Adam. And his excuse did not pass in the garden either. People say, well, I could, I, I'd do right if it wasn't for my spouse, if it wasn't for my parents. Folks, if God calls it sin, we've got to call it sin too and be broken over it. People say, well, that's just my culture. That's just the way my environment, my neighborhood is, whatever it may be. Folks, we've got to stop offering excuses and start realizing if God calls something sin, no matter how small it is, we need to call it sin too, repent of it, and ask God's forgiveness of it. That's what Roy Hessian did. Yeah, he wasn't an adulterer. He was an extortioner, unjust. He wasn't a publican. He wasn't an adulterer. But he had to realize that his sin was sin before God. So then, like I said, we're just going to look at the broken man very briefly. Let's see the broken man then in verse number 13. It says, and the publican. What's a publican? We know what a Pharisee is. What's a publican? Let's put it real simple. You know what a publican was? He was a tax collector. Any of you like me? the face with taxes last week <laughs> yeah i know it was a it was not a pretty time last week when everything was said and done you know um you know today we of course even today we still you're probably not a big fan of taxes and tax day and tax season as are probably most of the rest of the americans but um but tax collectors back in bible times especially in jewish times were even less liked and for a specific reason remember Um, The Greek Empire had taken over uh, a bunch of area, including the land of Israel. The Roman Empire had then absorbed the Greek Empire, and the Romans were now in charge of uh, the land of Israel. And in the Roman Empire, uh, one of the things that they would do is they would hire local people to work for them. And so one of the things they'd do is in these different provinces all across the Roman Empire, they'd hire locals. So in the land of Israel, they'd hire Jews. They'd hire these Jews, and they would be the tax collectors. Do you know how people viewed Jews who would work for the Roman government to extract unlawful taxes from fellow Jews? You know what they called them? Traitor. You would. You would. But if some nation took over our country, and you know, it'd be bad enough that they would have taken over. But then, what if someone in this very church went to work for the foreign takeover government? Showed up at your house because you haven't been paying taxes. You're like, I ain't paying taxes to that takeover government. You ain't been paying them for the last two years. And then the door, you, you know, the, your door's knocked on, and there's your friend from church along with two armed soldiers from the, this new foreign takeover government, and your friend says, you've got to pay. I'm like, well, what are you doing here? Well, I work for him now. What? You know what you'd say to him? Trade. you would let them know, don't ever come around here without your guards. Because they're a traitor. That's what the publican was. You know what it says about this publican, though? He was a broken man. How so? Look at his posture as he prayed. Verse 13, the publican, notice what it says, standing afar off. In other words, the Pharisee stood where everyone could see him. The publican got himself tucked away in a corner somewhere where nobody could see him. And why? Because this publican realized, I am unworthy to approach the throne of God. Can I say something, folks? No matter how much doctrine you know, no matter how long you've been in church, no matter what what your history is, who your parents are, folks, none of us deserves to come before the throne of God to bring prayer requests to him. say, well, I'm a Christian. Yep. And you still, you still deserve it. You know what you're uh, coming to God in prayer is? That's a privilege that God gives to unworthy people like us. It's really kind of our God to do that. And this publican, he realized, I am not worthy. Why? You know, Psalm 24, I love this. Psalm 24 says, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. And the Bible says also about his, um, his posture, it says he was standing afar off, it says he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. In other words, he would not, can we put it this way? He would not look God in the eye. You know why? Because he was embarrassed over his sin. Hey, when's the last time you were embarrassed over how selfish you were? When's the last time you were embarrassed over your anger? When's the last time you were embarrassed over your pride? When's the last time you were embarrassed over how much you were given to gossip? When was the last time you were embarrassed Over the way you the way you treat your spouse. When was the last time you were embarrassed about how much uh, you how many times you commit the sin of worry? When's the last time you were so embarrassed over that he would not even look God in the eye? It says, but he smote upon his breast. This action of beating on his chest. This was an action of people who were in mourning, people who were in grief. He was grieved over his sin. He didn't say, you know, Lord, it's probably a bad habit I ought to cut out. Help me out, Lord. He was grieved over his sin. Why? Because he used God as his measurement, as his standard. And when the publican compared his life to God, he realized, I don't measure up so good. So what happened? He says, his prayer was short and simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, um, it's interesting. He doesn't blame anyone else. He calls himself the sinner. You know, it's easy for us to point to someone else and say, well, you want to know why I just can't please God? It's because I've got this sinner in my life. i just got this sinner in my life. Yeah, of course you do. So does the rest of us. And God doesn't excuse one of us more than the other. But compared to God, this, this publican realized, I need God to be merciful. And you know what's interesting is when he confessed his sin to God, verse 14, here's what Jesus concludes it and says. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, talking about the publican, this publican went down to his house, Justified. You know what the word justified means? To have a right standing before God. And he says, rather than the other. Do you know that at this point, the Pharisees, who would have already been mad enough as it was, would have gotten even angrier, and the Jews would have gone, uh oh. Because really, what he has just done is is, is he has, you know, everyone would have expected the Pharisees. To be the one with the right standing before God. All the Jews would have expected that. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Pharisee, in my story, the Pharisee was not the one who ended this thing right with God. It was the publican. Everyone would think, "Ah, oh, uh, publican, not him. He's a traitor. He's a traitor. No, he, Jesus says, no, he had a right standing before God. Why? Because he was willing to confess as sin everything that God had called sin in his life. And he says, for, here's the lesson Jesus gives. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. In other words, what he's saying is this. Hum, exalting yourself, that's pride. Humbling yourself, that's humility. Jesus says, Christian, we got to swallow our pride, humble ourselves, and confess as sin, whatever God calls sin. You can offer an excuse. You can say, Matt, you don't have any right to tell me that. I'm older than you, whatever, whatever. You can go with that, folks, but I'm going to tell you what. God's going to hold you responsible. That's where where pride comes in. And we say, no one's going to tell me what to do. You know, the reality is, if it wasn't me, if someone else told you, you'd probably have the same attitude towards them too. Folks, if we want to know the blessing of God, You want to see your church move forward? You want to see God do some neat things? Okay, people, it's got to start with us being broken, calling sin whatever God calls sin, no matter how small. Let's bow our heads. Folks, this is an important.